So we're going to be hearing from two places today, Genesis 1 and 2 Corinthians 5. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. You may grab a seat. Thank you, friends. Wonderful to be in the room with each of you this afternoon. I am so excited. My name's Alex. I'm the pastor here at New Life Brisbane, and I sit alongside a wonderful team, both of staff and ministry leaders, because of which we're actually able to do church the way we do church, run ministries the way we do ministries, and entertain topics like this, a big one, as we finish out a series that we've been going through, Crucial Conversations. Today is the last topic in this series of conversations, and just to exemplify perfectly what we hope the whole aim has been, we actually today want to have a conversation. So I have the pleasure of distinctly, hopefully not saying too much, and being accompanied by two friends uh, as we go through our time together. But I wanted to make a pastoral note as we jump into this. And that's this. Today we're talking about reconciliation. And the moment I say that word, it conjures up a myriad of images in the minds of every individual here. Some of them, it's a political term. For others, it's a cultural word. For still others of us, it's a new term that's made its way through the ether of our cultural moment, and we have no idea what to do with it. On the other end of the spectrum, it's a term that is deeply emotional for some of us here in the room. And we hear that word and think, man, this is a gospel issue. And if I meet any one other Christian who doesn't think this is a gospel issue, man, it's going to be really hard for me to act like a brother or sister to them. There's a whole host of ends of the spectrum in the room this afternoon. And I just want to say this, that we're not talking about a political topic this afternoon. We're not talking about a cultural issue. We're talking about a biblical command. And that command is reconciliation. There's something in the flavour of the narrative arc of the Scriptures which makes us think two things. Genesis 1, that all humanity, regardless of background, culture, race, whether they wear the same clothes as you and I, no matter their story, they're equal, worthy of respect and dignity. 
and someone in whom we can see something of God because that's the way God designed it. All the people, every background, every nation, every race. And that Christians, because of Jesus, spoken by Paul, we have a distinct privilege to be part of God's new humanity together, where we talk about our reconciliation with God and model reconciliation with one another, vertical and horizontal. And the major arc, the major argument, the major point of the New Testament is that we, through Jesus, can be reconciled to God and we, through Jesus, can be reconciled to one another. So as we jump into this conversation this afternoon, I just want to make one quick note, and it's this. In the biblical imagination, reconciliation is not just a past tense noun. It doesn't just describe what's happened to Christians. It's a present tense exercise. And we know this because Paul uses the language of ambassadorship. So across the world, think about this for a moment. Australia has a number of embassies. And an embassy is a local land or place in a culture not its own, given towards modeling the home which it represents. Does that make sense? And so when Paul ties the language of ambassadorship to the church of Jesus Christ, here's what he's saying. There's a new people in town and they represent a home in a world that's alien to it. And that home is the new heavens and new earth, the beautiful world that God's bringing in his time. And it's marked by love. It's marked by sacrifice. It's marked by generosity. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, it's marked by reconciliation. And so today we're, we're actually talking about what it might look like to be obedient to the call of reconciliation. On the slide behind me, you'll see the title for this afternoon's conversation, Reconciliation, Dealing with Our Nation's Past and Hoping for a Better Future. And I could think of no more better gospel issue, no more better topic to orbit our imaginations around this afternoon. But to do that, I need help. So will you pray with me one last time and then we'll introduce our two guests. Let's pray. Jesus, you're our King. You're our Saviour. You're our Lord. And we love you. Father, as we bring our minds and our hearts around this topic this afternoon, Lord, help us not just be a conversation about ideas. Help us be mindful of the brothers and sisters that we're sitting alongside. And Lord, help us turn these ideas into action that we might witness to the reconciliation we have in Jesus and the reconciliation that we've got with one another. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we are joined this afternoon uh, by two friends of New Life. I've gotten to know them a little bit, both this afternoon and earlier this week, and it's been an absolute privilege hearing some of their stories. Uh, and uh, let me just introduce them briefly. We've got Kim Korber, who uh, actually is full-time down the road at Uniting Care. Uh, she works for RAP. Um, I, I'll let her explain what that is. Um, it might mean she's got an album dropping in the spring. It might mean something else. Uh, but she'll come up and share a bit of her story with us. Uh, but Kim Korber. And then we've got David Passy. Uh, David is a good friend of Michael Hands, is going through candidacy with Michael. Um, and I called David earlier this week and on the phone with him, uh, we were just chatting about what this Sunday might look like and some of the points he wants to draw out. And he just said, hey brother, do you mind if I just speak encouragement over you right now? 
and for the next 10 minutes just proceeded to encourage me in a way that completely melted my heart and made me think I needed the call from him more than he needed the call from me. So can we give Kim and David a warm welcome as they come up here. Wonderful, friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting us. (laughs) Hello, New Life. (laughs) And that was a great welcome, New Life. We'll do that again as we wrap up our time. Um, But Kim and David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and particularly we're interested in um, where home is for you. Yeah. Okay, I'm um, Kim Korber. I'm a COA, which is Winton, and Cookie LNG woman. Uh, which is Cookie Allergy is the Cape area, and we have strong ties to Waka Waka. And that's my daughter down there, Zoe. <laughs> and um, so why we have strong ties to Waka Waka is that my great-grandmother was taken from Winton, and my great-grandfather was taken from the Cape area, and they were brought down into the mission on Sherberg, which is Waka Waka country. So they weren't taken um, because they were invited to be taken. They were rounded up and like many. So, yeah, so that's where we are. So we, we thank the Waka Waka tribe for looking after us. But the Koa people, uh, we just got our um, native title last year. So we're in deep conversation about what that looks like for us as peoples. Wonderful. Thanks, Kim. David, please. Uh, the northern suburbs of Brisbane. No, <laughs> my mum's people group is from Kunnamulla or the Paru River region, which is 900 k's west of Brisbane. Yeah, so, great. Yeah. Awesome. Any other north siders in the room? Yeah, great. Awesome. I moved to the south side since getting married, and um, yeah, pray for me. It's hard. Awesome. Um, you're both First Nations people, both Indigenous Australians, and that brings with it wonderful experience and hope, but also pain. And uh, I thought we might just get straight into this conversation this afternoon, tied around reconciliation. And I want to ask you this. Um, what does the word reconciliation mean for both of you? Okay. Um, well, a Colossians 3, which is, you know, bearing the pain of each other and working through that. It also means um, having a heart to sit in those difficult spaces, those difficult conversations that we all need to have with, with each other. But also, you know, looking for the joy in that relationship together. Um, I'll just let you know that um, um, life at, um, in Sherberg was, was a difficult life for my family. Um, my mother was raised up as a, um, to be a domestic servant and then she was sent out to servitude when she was 14 and spent most of her um, young adult life in servitude from um, Toowoomba and then ended up with, um, which she really loved this role actually, which was a, a domestic for a bookie in, Al- in um, Ascot. So that was kind of fun for her. They were very good to her. But lots of the women and her cousins and sisters didn't have those sorts of, those sorts of um, good experiences. It was hard for a lot of, and cruel for a lot of people in that time. So reconciliation for me is being able for, 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 for second peoples to be able to, to hear that, not take that on as something that they have to feel guilty for, but acknowledge that that is something that needs to be seen in the older generations, but also in the younger ones that have come through and borne the, the, you know, the burden of, of that trauma that has been passed down to, to older um, First Nations peoples. Mm, thank you, Kim. Mm. Our reconciliation for me is a God word, obviously. But um, do you know the thing is, I just want to say that reconciliation is also a thing of 
relationship and communication. So today I'm not going to sit here um, as I would with Pastor Michael and have a go at him and then, do you know what I mean? But it's, it's crucial that I, I speak, in, speak with you in soft terms, yeah? Like in the sense of I have the privilege today to be sitting in front of youth and young adults in the majority. I mean, I don't need to look at the sea of faces, but I can feel you in, yeah, in the room, yeah? And I just want to encourage you that if you've already got enough on your plate, just do it in small increments and reconciliation for you and God and for people as First and Second Nations people. Actually, just do the journey for yourself, like when you're ready. Don't be forced into things or pressured into things. I mean, you've already got enough on your plate, eh? But yeah. That's wonderful. I'm hearing sort of some big, um, some big words that I think I might just summarise, which I think would be helpful for our imaginations. Relationship, trauma, acknowledgement. These are all things which tie up both the individualness but also the corporate nature of this topic. And um, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Um, something that um, those of us here might not perfectly know is that the Uniting Church as a denomination in Australia is one of the only denominations to have a covenant with First Nations people. And that's publicly accessible. You can read it. It's online and it's written beautifully. Uh, but I wanted to ask, um, what does that covenant mean? And uh, could you share a bit about that? Um, yeah. Why don't we go to you, Kim? Yeah. The covenant means a great deal to me because that's the space in which I work all of the time. I'm informed in the work that I do with um, Uniting Care Australia um, as manager rap program. Um, the covenant informs our action items and how we're going to do that. But more importantly, the work that I do in the Uniting Church alongside the moderator and some really good allies, Bruce Moore um, is, is one of those great allies. I shout out. Shout out to Bruce. Yeah, love Bruce. Um, yeah, and um, so what does the covenant mean in real terms in terms of working for, with our First Peoples alongside First Peoples? Well, it means spending time in respect and relationship and understanding. So I've had the privilege of being able to conduct a lot of yarnings with our... Um, Christian faith leaders, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian faith leaders, of which there are many in the in the Uniting Church, um, up and down the coast. Our communities are filled with faith leaders, and a lot of people don't realise um, First Nations people, the eldership. Um, there's a really high percentage with of people with really deep, deep Christian faith. So God lived here um, long before. Uh, colonial colonial day, days, and um, he wrote in our hearts. And in terms of understanding what that looks like, well, that's a question we all grapple with. You know, how do we express um, what our belief is and what our connection to country is in across the Christian faith? So, and, and you know, greater minds than mine are sort of grappling with that as well. But it's a question that you can um, get in relationship in in that discussion with as well. That's wonderful, David. Would you any, add anything? Oh, just to dovetail that, um, in the sense of, like, for, for a long time, Indigenous, uh, yeah, black fellas, spirituality, that's just me being from the northern suburbs and urban black. Um, but that, um, that spirituality has been demonised, actually put in the forefront as, like, devil worship and, do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, before the Bible came, before colonisation, uh, God was here with us mm. because at the end of the day with encounters with our people and the land and in the spiritual sense, you can actually go back and trace those things through scripture to actually confirm those encounters with God. Now at the end of the day, 
you may be all word or you may believe in the spirit, but there's always a merger of the two, yeah? And at the mm. end of the day, the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus in that fact through his word, yeah? Yeah, wow. So. Thanks, David. Let's zoom in there, actually, because um, we're going to jump around um, the questions we've prepared just based on where the conversation goes. I hope that's okay. Um, and uh, one of the questions that's come up that I've been in conversation with Christians, and particularly those without an Indigenous background, um, is around the nature of the spirituality um, that's Indigenous to um, First Nations culture. And so I, I hear you've, um, you've answered this question this morning for our church in Cooley, and I just would love to throw it to you, David. Um, some Christians ha- have critiques um, of Indigenous spirituality as pagan. And so could you help us think about that? How do you handle uh, and wrestle through these tensions as a Christian, hmm, particularly with that critique? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's what you assign value to. What, did, what does your heart actually give worship to? At the end of the day, if I'm going to sit and listen to someone that thinks I'm a pagan, then at the end of the day, I guess I can cop it, but mm. they'll be none the wiser for not having have sat with me and actually got to know me. Because mm. at the end of the day, it's another form of colonisation mm. in the sense of I've got to believe what you've got to believe and the God you serve isn't as I see it. Mm. So at the end of the day, what is it doing? Is it in a high imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, that we all need to come together and just tear down, down those vain imaginations, yeah? Mm. yeah and we also David. talked this morning about um, the commandments and, you know, cultural law hmm. and um, all of the laws around how you, ha- you behave with each other in, in the clan group and the mob, as well as towards those outside your clan group and your neighbourings. I mean, they're very similar to the teachings of the Ten Commandments. So, mm. yeah, they're almost identical, aren't they? And a lot of our dreaming stories, the parables in there, you could draw um, great um, lines to the parables within the Bible. So it just takes that time to, to listen and learn. And that's why it wasn't hard for First Nations people who were rounded up and put into mission to say, well, yeah, it's not my culture. I'm not allowed to practice culture. I'm not allowed to speak my language. But I can kind of get behind worshipping something that's greater than thou. Yeah. So, I mean, and it was taken up even even though they were, you know, terribly hurt in these missions by, by good-meaning missionaries. But, um, yeah, it wasn't always expressed in the way that it should have been um, or could have been. Yeah. So... And um, two things, yeah, two comments. Go for it. Um, the, the first one is that uh, for the majority of us, we come from a matriarchal society. Hmm. So, so what does that mean for some people? Well, at the end of the day, mum actually runs the house. So the thing is, dad may think that he's ruling the roost, but he actually has to go out and get the coin to feed the children. But who's the one that's integrating the children into society, into relationships, giving Mm. that care and nurture for them to be developed in their identity? It's the Mm. mum. So at the end of the day, there's a soft side to our culture that people don't see. Mm. And actually, the the reason why you see systemic trauma and shock in the culture is guess what? Children are being taken away from their mums. Children are being taken away from their families. And at the end of the day, I sit in the church and I think, oh, wow, the church is responsible for that mm. to, to a great degree. And to a degree, mm. we're still sort yeah. of partaking in that in the work of Uniting Care. But Uniting Care is doing some great work in terms of understanding how can that pathway come back mm. in terms of 
self-determination. So in Uniting Care and with the church, it's all led through relationship, respect, self-determination and equity. So what does it look like in practical terms? Well, it means that um, people who are currently in those positions of power need to relinquish some of that power and invite, be intentional in inviting um, First Peoples into their knowledge, knowing and, and um, employment opportunities so that they can start taking the lead of caring for their own children as well. So you, you wouldn't want to be a bystander in, in, in your child's life. You want to be a, fr a frontline person. Sometimes that's not possible either. Sometimes the toxicity and the trauma out there is, is too much. But, mm. you know, you want to work to that optimum goal of having community looking after community. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great. Something I hear, um, the phrase that comes to my mind is like, what does it look like to make space as a, as a culture? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Kim, can we unpack your, your job title? Um, rather than dropping a, a, a you know, a, a song album, a yeah, a new great mix, so fresh hits of winter. Um, <laughs> could you share a bit about your role and, um, yeah, just yeah. for us here? Yeah, I was, I, I started with um, the Synod four years ago, or five years ago now, and had the pleasure of working at Raymont Residential College, which I absolutely adore, and I know there's lots of Raymont people here, well, shout out to you guys. Another shout out. And, um, and, and worked in the Synod in operations there. And then during that time, I was introduced to what the Covenant looked like. Mm. And, yeah, and they asked me to come and spend some time talking in that. So it was been a big learning curve and that's where I met beautiful brother David. And, um, and then from there, an opportunity to move over into the works of um, reconciliation through manager of the Reconciliation Action Plan for Uniting Care. Um, you know, I jumped at that because the two really sit as a married uh, piece, really, and there shouldn't be much of a delineation between what we do as agencies of the church or expressions of the church, you guys, as well as our agency and the Synod. So yeah. I just saw it as a great opportunity to, to jump over and have a little bit more... Um, um, agency in that work yeah mm. and I have a great team I've got you know you should be really proud of the church that really finances uh, reconciliation yeah. to the way as well because I have a team of um, four underneath me mm. and we do all of that work across the church alongside other cultural leaders and mm. yeah um, throughout the throughout throughout uniting care so you know the uniting church through its agencies really does walk alongside First Peoples. We don't always get it right, mm. but, you know, our intention and our heart is, is pure in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, what astounds me is all the time and resource and backing that comes from the church for your role, and it assumes that there's a problem. Yeah, well, there's work to do. There's work to do. And I, I wondered um, whether you could speak into, um, you know, why can't we just move past some of the pain, some of the hurt, um, yeah, I hear that all the recognize? time and I even hear it um, in those brave sessions we're having face-to-face um, -face workshops. We'll often get that one brave person that says, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this, we've just got to move forward, we can't keep living in the past. Mm. And, and that's why I shared my mother's experience because it's not the past, this is modern history. My mother was mm. taken out into to, to, um, slavery 
basically. You can call it domestic service, but it was slavery. Uh, slavery. If you don't have any say about where you work and how long you work and you don't get any money for it, it's slavery. Mm. Um, so it's new. It's in, and and um, that we we didn't have any agency. Our old people didn't have any agency about where they lived, how they earned money, could they couldn't vote, all of those sorts of things. So it's only I was born in 1966, which was one year before the referendum. So I was born hmm. under the Act, which is the Aboriginal Protection Act. It was abolished in 1967. But you just have to be patient and let people go um, go through the time and the trauma that they need to go through, so that we can move into a newer sort of day. Um, when I was talking to my mum when I was a 25-year-old and, and mum was an active um, participant in the Murray, um, Murray Church and um, I said I'd get, you know, on my high horse and say, you know, it's got to be better than this and she'd say, it just, it's going to take time, Kim, it's going to take another 50 years before we get there and that's 30 years ago. Hmm. So, and we, we are making changes. We've got young people that are being raised up into ed- education, they're being... Um, um, they all have their degrees. They're moving into places of influence. We've got our first judge in Queensland, which is fantastic. We've got medical people. And that sort of soft reconciliation... And it's not soft reconciliation, but it's reconciliation that you don't necessarily see happening until it's actually happened. That takes time. So you just have to be patient, you know. For, we're only 200 years young. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a great fact. <laughs> it's really helpful to acknowledge, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what, I, what I'm blessed by in hearing is that the pain and the trauma is not so distant and not so minuscule. No. That it's near and it's big. Um, and so I think as Christian brothers and sisters, one of the questions I've got is how does the gospel affect how you see that? How does it affect the way you see your own identity? How does the gospel influence you as a brother and sister, as a First Nation person, but still before Jesus? Well, I mean, just as Annie Kim was saying, it's, it's one thing to look at, you know, only 60 years ago, less than 60 years ago, that there was a change and a shift from flora and fauna to being able to vote. And then you get someone like me, who's a young adult, that gets the opportunity to study, hmm. to live in society, hmm. without this big, massive gap of like, oh... I don't have the opportunity to catch a bus to go to school, Mm. stuff like that. Mm. So at the end of the day, there's still a gap, there's still a great divide Mm. uh, in the sense of administration and governance. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's really lacking if Mm. you want to include identity and the gospel Mm. in that space. Mm. I guess it's understanding that we're not bound by time or governed by structures and stuff Mm. like that. But if, at the end of the day, if people want to have a voice, I believe that there's equal opportunity today because of the forebears that went before us. So. Mm, yeah. and, and for me, how does, how does the gospel um, affect what I do every day? Mm. Um, it sits with me every day of my life, but it hasn't always. Mm. I grew up as a, a person um, of faith and grew up with my mother and father, you know, attending church and... And then I um, was active in the um, Murray Anglican Church. And, and then I got into um, the corporate world. And when I went up to visit one of my aunties up in Sherberg, she looked at me and she said, ah, Kimmy, you a white black fella now. You got a flash car there. And I said, um, no, auntie, it's okay. It's all right. I just work in it and I'm doing well. And she said, don't fall too far. <laughs> 
And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and I was really cranky with her because she was, yeah. And, um, and it's not until really recently, maybe five years ago, her words sort of rang with me. And what I realised is I did fall too far. I went into corporate world and I just did really, really well in there and learnt a lot and really, really honed my skills as a, as a corporate person but then had lost all of my culture and, and lost my faith, basically. So I was intentional, had my babies, um, raised them up, you know, going to church and all that sort of stuff, and then started thinking, you know, well, I can't just be a Sunday church goer. I've got to be something better than that. Mm. And um, was intentional in seeking a job with, you know, with a faith-based organisation, was lucky enough to get the Uniting Church. Mm. And because I let God in, mm. um, he's transformed everything about what I do. So mm. I don't lead it. And a beautiful man this morning, Danian, he sort of spoke about uh, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 5, and he said, you know, about letting God's will be done. Mm. And that's pretty much how I live my life. I just let it, let it all happen out there because I'm not in control of this at all. Mm. Yeah, wow, thank you. Something that's coming... Too big to be in control of one person. Yeah, that's right. Something that's coming up just as you're both speaking is this battle. Now, I've not scripted this, so this could get really pear-shaped, but this battle between uh, Indigenous culture, which is in your blood, it's in your bones and corporate culture, or uh, culture of colonial Britain that was brought over. And uh, David, you mentioned before that it's so easy for those who are unfamiliar, who don't have relationship, to demonise the spirituality that is uh, part of your culture. And something that seems to be coming up is that it, it could be easy for both of you um, to demonise uh, sort of colonial culture. And my question is, how does the gospel impact that? Um, does it impact that? Is there a way that Jesus has taught you to think about these things that might be different if someone doesn't know God? Hard question. <laughs> well, like at the end of the day, I think it's actually change. Everyone's mm. got to change to a certain degree. Mm. I mean, like especially with technology, mm. for an example, like six months you've learnt one thing and it's already obsolete and you've got to buy a new laptop <laughs> or whatever. Um, but what I'm saying is this adaptability, yeah? The ability mm. to change. Mm. At the end of the day, you look at examples, the Apostle Paul wrote, even does it in every aspect of his life and ministry, he became all things to all men. I read hmm. the King James, that's hmm. inclusive of sons and daughters, inclusive language. Hmm. But in saying that, it's all things to all men for the sake of seeing them saved. Yeah. So just to encourage, is that all right? Just, yeah. just to encourage you Go in this it. degree that you want to talk about reconciliation and you want to be that vessel for God, you have a sphere or a domain of influence that God has called you to. Mm. So at the end of the day, you are God's mouthpiece, you are God's vessel, you are God's epistle, walking epistle, mm. walking letter, the Jesus Christ to the people that you're called to. Mm. Great, it's the David. same for me, yeah. yeah. Like one of the um, reverends, Richard Cassidy, who lives up in Palm Island, I recently spent four days with him, and he said, you know, what you do is you just stand in the gap, and that's what we do. We stand in mm. the gap between um, culture and and um, colonial Australia, mm. which is is not, I, I don't, don't really like that term, but just the, mm. the Australia that we know now. Mm. And um, 
And I sit in that word of reconciliation all the time because I get asked that. What does reconciliation mean? And it just means what is God calling you in your heart to be with the other so you don't see the other as something separate to yourself mm. because we are all one, really. Yeah, wow. mm. And it's, it's probably... Um, just grappling with that on a daily basis. And, mm. and um, yeah, we, as, as people who work in reconciliation, we often get a lot of flack from our own um, community as well, you know, so we have to bear that. But um, it's all work that needs to be done and it's all really worthwhile work. So, and, and as I said, God sits in that space with you. It's beautiful. Thank you both. Um, I wonder if, Kim, you might comment on every week we acknowledge country, uh, when we gather, we did. Kristen led us in it beautifully just before. Um, I've heard there's a difference between welcome to country and acknowledgement of country. And could you speak a bit about what that difference might be and why we would acknowledge country? Well, acknowledging country is a respect um, a process of just taking time to say, okay, well, we, we acknowledge that there were people here in these lands for thousands of years caring for God's lands and caring with, for God's lands under God's law that was written on our hearts as it is written on yours. Could you script that for our acknowledgement? That's wonderful. <laughs> God's, yeah, caring for God's land. It's wonderful. So, so yeah. that's what it is. It's Beautiful. just taking that pause to, to remember that, you know, others have walked on these lands before you and, and cared for them, which is God's land. The other is welcome to country, and that's, uh, that's only um, provided by a recognised traditional owner of the, the, the group. Um, although a non-traditional owner, a person who has historical ties to community, can also offer a welcome with, with appropriate um, approval by the elders within, within the region. But it's more like, um, and Shannon um, Ruska explains it really well from tribal experiences. He explains it really well in terms of, well, you wouldn't just knock on the door and come into a stranger's home, you'd let them know. And up in Kuguyalanji country, it's really interesting. The way they do it up there is there's these beautiful big palm trees with thick, thick sort of um, um, roots above the ground as well as externally and they'll grab a rock and they'll beat on that rock as they're sort of welcome to let people know as well that you're sort of coming into lands so you don't get speared as well. But, yeah, so... Crucial. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's using what has what God has created in nature to actually um, give voice that way as well. Yeah, mm, so yeah. it's a it's a it's a hello, I'm here, okay. and you can come in. Yeah, okay. I, I'm learning things right now, just for what it's worth. Just so you know, I'm not sitting up here having thought through everything about um, what it means for white Australia to relate to First Nations people. So um, I was sharing with Kim just before. Um, it's one thing to think about these issues. It's another thing to actually experience relationship with those who are First Nations people. And just so people in the room can understand, the, the greatest degree of experience I've got with First Nations brothers and sisters is going to a primary school that was named after, um, with an Indigenous Australian term. It's called Humpybong. Uh, for those who want to know, went to Humpybong State Primary School when I grew up. And um, I just, I'm relishing this opportunity just to, just to share and hear. Um, David, would you add anything to what Kim shared for us, just in the distinction between welcome to and acknowledgement of country? Um, I guess the thing is, you there's a privilege in that mm. and, the, and the welcoming, but also having ties to a community. Mm. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people have been displaced mm. or moved 
from their actual homeland or tribal group. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's great to see that people, like when people say emerging, I, I'm wondering emerging from what? Because we've always been here. Have we been hiding under a rock or something? <laughs> but um, in saying, and just in saying that, you know what I mean? Like at the end of yeah. the day, the thing is, what you've got to learn is that this culture and this enduring culture actually does what it does with what it has. Hmm. Very little. But yeah. Yeah, mm. but, but huge amounts as well, all the, all the history that we have inside as well. And it's your mm. history too. Like when you think about when you go and travel overseas, what do, you think, what do your friends ask you about when you go overseas? They want to know about the culture of Australia and you talk about our First Nation. They'll ask you about that. Mm. When people arrive here, they want to find out where are the blackfellas or want to go and see, a, you know, have that experience. So I just encourage you to do some um, um, local tourism as well. We've got really good... Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island uh, tours that we have everywhere, wherever you go in destinations, but there's some really good ones down in Yugambeh country, which is the southern coast, up on Cubby Cubby, go up and see Lincoln um, up there. And, um, you know, there's, there's people everywhere, there's tribal experiences here. So if you're really interested in, in getting to know, go and do those really safe sort of touristy things to start with. And, and then also you can sort of link into what might be more outreach sort of programs and if if you as a church are really interested in doing some sort of outreach focused work um you know that's where myself and others can come and walk alongside you and help you in that as well and maybe build some bridges for you to actually do some yarning circles and so forth and get to know some people because um you know you're walking past us all the time you just may not see us because we don't all look the same and Mm. we don't don't all have dark skin Mm. um I would love to get practical in a moment, but something I realise a bit of a faux pas from me is just this question that comes to my mind right now. What, what made you both follow Jesus? I have not prepared you for this, but uh, we're sharing so much right now about the story of our culture, our history, but there's something about your individual choice to follow Jesus that I think would be a wonderful place to land before we think about getting practical. So, yeah, could, could you share into that? It wasn't my choice to start with because, okay. yeah, like you, as a young person, you, you know, yeah. you do it because that's what's expected to you, but as yeah. of you. But as an adult, um, yeah, I don't think there was a definitive moment. Well, there may have been a few definitive moments, but um, it was just something that was calling out to me. And every time I... Actually, no, I've had three um, really serious relationships in my life and each one of them... Um, have been marked in relation to my my relationship with with God and Christ. So yeah, and I and if, and every time I've had trauma in my life of you know varying degrees, it was always God that I ran to. And sometimes I didn't feel worthy in running there, but now I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Okay, it's oh, wonderful. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, David, please. Um, for me, I guess. It's imparted, like for me it was an encounter. I wasn't coming to church, it wasn't reading the Bible. It was actually an encounter because life and circumstances, if God wants you to have a relationship with him, he'll come searching for you. Hmm. And the thing is, I've experienced what it is to be at rock bottom and Jesus is a rock, yeah? So Mm. at the end of the day, through that encounter, it actually, you know, makes us want to read the Bible, makes us want to change. Because at the end of the day, I was 
pretty much on these streets, West End, everywhere, running amok, being a beer-swilling beer yobbo, yeah? But at the end of the day, if God can reach out and give me an encounter and touch mm. my life, then he can do it for anyone, eh? Amen. Yeah, amen. Well, let's talk about what it might look like for the Church of Jesus to participate in touching people's lives with reconciliation. So what can we do? What's some practical things? If you were to encourage us, what would that look like? First of all, I would say just do a little bit of your own learning, sort of mm. understand a little bit more. Do, you know, watch. I always call this out. NITV is an excellent, excellent source of just quiet information. And you can do that in your home and just learn and feel closer. We've got some great sports channels. If you're a sporty person, you know, you can learn about all the Pacificas playing sport and so forth. And we represent everywhere. And go to NADOC Week festivals. You know, we have NADOC Week usually in Musgrove park but there's NADOC wheat festivals everywhere just go and be with first nations people put yourself in that position where oh, i'm gonna be uncomfortable i'm only gonna be there's gonna be a few white people there but it's okay or or reach out to us you know we can help you sort of design programs i mean you have black fellas around your church every night yeah out there so and i'm sure you've done outreach and sat with them and talked to them and it's not easy work so um, yeah, I, I would say that. Those small steps of information so you don't feel so frightened about what it is because we are not the other. We, we're people with you. Please, David, I would love to hear from you around how you think we could get practical. Well, practical. Who mm. likes food? <laughs> Preach. You do, like three people in the room. So the rest of you had a good feed of air before you came today. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that biblically and even communally and even from today, if you share a meal with someone, mm. it's an intimate thing. Yeah. yeah. You're opening bits of your heart up or your life and you're enjoying food together. Important. It even goes back to Scripture, yeah? The Lord Jesus Christ sitting his 12 apostles or disciples down. Every time he had something significant to teach them, they had to feed together and broke bread, yeah? So they were actually having communion even before Jesus was betrayed, yeah? They broke bread. Wonderful. How can we open up our table? Thanks, David. Friends, I have learnt from this. Um, there's points where I've been comforted and made uncomfortable because of the story and the pain, but also the hope. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Um, there's this line from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians where he says, we cared so much about you. We shared, we shared not simply the gospel, but our lives as well. And you've done that um, this afternoon. You'd shared the gospel and your life. And so Kim, David, thank you. And New Life Brisbane, can we give them a, a show of appreciation as they grab their seats? Friends, I want to just let that sit for us because as I'm feeling both comforted and uncomfortable by the pain and the joy of what it might mean to be a First Nation Indigenous Australian, I'm sure you are as well. And in that we sit, somehow for better, and I pray not for worse. What we've done right now is we've entertained the topic of reconciliation not simply with the Bible out in front on our knees for the sake of hearing from God, but actually 
from the first person experience of those who grew up in this culture. And so just let it rest on your hearts. Maybe there's some repentance some of us want to do as we jump into this final song. And that repentance could look like getting on your knees and just saying, God, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. Maybe there's some more research, those of us who are in the room who might be more intellectually geared, that you want to do. And so it might look like following up those resources that Kim shared about, or even coming down and building relationship with these two wonderful individuals. Maybe there's some questions I asked today that you're like, man, I'd love even more of an answer on. Maybe they're theological questions. Maybe they're questions about culture and history. I actually don't think any of us are walking away from this moment without a next step. I think all of us are. Because all of us have heard the biblical call to be ambassadors of reconciliation in this world. And all of us as individuals, but also as a corporate body, need to be part of doing that in a way that blesses the world, gives glory to Jesus, and makes sense of our own story along the way.